Well, as you're about to take your final breath on this earth, what do you want people to say about your life? Steph and I watched a movie recently where a lady dying of cancer decided to have a memorial service while she was still alive. She thought it would be a shame to miss out on everyone saying nice things about her. So what do you want people to say about your life at your funeral? Or what about this? What do you want God to say about your life when it's all said and done? If there's something that I think all of us would long to hear as we finally stand before our Lord and Savior, I think it's these words, well done, good and faithful servant. What a comfort. Can you feel the relief and the joy at hearing those words of approval of a life well lived? So if that's what we want to hear, what does the life of a good and faithful servant look like? Well, the story starts off that we're looking at today in verse 14 that says, again, it will be like. Uh, The it here is referring to the kingdom of heaven that we see in verse 1 of chapter 25. You see, this parable, uh, this short story that comes with a punch is part of a series of parables where Jesus has taken his disciples aside and he's teaching them about the fact that he's going to go away one day, but then he'll actually return again and what that means for life in between while his disciples await his return. So what's this parable saying? Uh, Let's quickly first do an overview of the story together. The kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey. Uh, Maybe he's going to Fiji for a holiday. Maybe he's taking a business trip. Either way, he's going. So like uh, any responsible person does, he makes some plans. He calls his servants over and he entrusts, uh, quite literally, the stuff that he has to him, his, his property. To one of his servants, he gives five bags of gold. To another two and to another one, each according to his ability. Now, we don't exactly know how much money he gave them. Um, The talent, which is the word used here, is a measure of weight, which is why the NIV has gone with a bag of gold. But, you know, there's some estimates around that a talent could be as much as what a laborer would expect to make in half a lifetime of work. So in Sydney terms, you might be looking at quite a bit over a million dollars. So that's a decent sum of money. As soon as he leaves we see that the master's trust in the first servant is rewarded. Look, the servant goes away at once and he puts the money to work. Maybe he trades it on the stock market, maybe he invests it in a venture capital startup. Whatever he does, it's successful. 100% returns. Another five bags of gold. That's pretty good. The one who receives two does the same. And again, 100% returns. Another two bags of gold. We can see where this is going. We're waiting for this last servant to step up and achieve spectacular results. But what does he do? He goes out, digs a hole in the ground, and he hides the money. To be fair to the guy, it's actually the safest option. It was even a recommended action by Jewish rabbis at the time. Whatever he was going to do with the money, even what the master suggests later about putting it to money lenders was going to involve risk. This isn't like banks in our day and age. 
the safest bet if you wanted to ensure that your money was there when you needed it was to bury it. He's gone for no risk, no reward. But how will that go? While the day of reckoning arrives, the master returns and it's time for the financial review. The first presents the extra five he's gained and the master's delighted. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The master's ecstatic. Things are going well. The second servant steps up. Exactly the same thing plays out. But what about the last servant? Will his no risk, no reward approach be looked on favorably? Well, he obviously decides that if he's not going to present the same sort of rewards as the other two, he needs to justify himself. He's sort of hit about what he's going to say. He says in verse 24, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out, and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Have it back. You can almost feel like he's playing hot potato with the gold. He can't wait to offload it. But what does the master say? You know, thanks, at least the one talent is safe. No, you wicked, lazy servant. He's not holding back. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and I gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. The master's saying, yes, I'm a man of profit, so why did you think I'd want you to hide it in the ground? You could have at least taken it to these money lenders and got something back. What's the response? So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. This has not gone well. The no risk, no reward approach has not been looked on favorably. And finally, we see in verse 30, the worthless servant is thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, it's a bit of a jarring ending. He's thrown out, and that's the end. Well, that's the story in brief, but what does this teach us about being a good and faithful servant? Let's take a closer look together at the meaning of this parable, starting first with our responsibility. Our responsibility. Well, see, the setting of the story is a master going away on a journey. Uh, Clearly here, this represents Jesus going away and what his disciples do while they await his return. If Jesus is the master, the disciples, the servant, what are these bags of gold, these talents meant to represent? Well, the traditional explanation has been our innate natural ability that God has given each of us. Uh, That's why we actually use the word talent in the English language the way that we do. But we see in verse 15 that the talents are distributed based on the servant's ability, but aren't actually the same thing. I want to suggest a bigger picture view than just that. Remember, this is a parable about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, as the master, as the king of the kingdom, in verse 14, is entrusting his stuff to them. The bags of gold don't just represent our innate abilities, but 
but it represents the things of the, king, the kingdom, which include, I think, the gifts that God gives each of us, but also the resources of the kingdom, and perhaps most importantly, the message of the kingdom, the good news that Jesus is both Lord and Savior. All of this is wrapped up in this great wealth that the master entrusts to his servants. So what does it look like to be good and faithful servants? Well, for a start, we've been given a great task to do. As disciples of Jesus, we've been entrusted with this great responsibility by him. When Jesus left, he gave us the things of the commission. The great commission at the end of Matthew 28 starts off, all authority and heaven on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. This is the responsibility that Jesus entrusts his disciples with when he leaves, the task to go and make disciples. I wonder if your life ever feels purposeless. Do you ever stop and think, what's the point? Wage slaves, the nine to five grind, 24-7 parenting. In the minute-by-minute struggles of the day, it can be so hard to gain any perspective. I love that feeling when I'm on a plane, and when you're taking off, it's miserable weather. You can only see clouds and rain, but when you finally break through the clouds, you see the sun shining, and you're reminded that it's always been there. Even if it doesn't always feel like it, you need to know that life in the kingdom of heaven is never without purpose. As disciples of Jesus, we've all been entrusted with the gifts, the resources, the message of the kingdom, given a task to see it flourish. Our lives as disciples of Christ are never meaningless. But maybe uh, thinking about this responsibility right now feels somewhat overwhelming. Uh, In the words of Bilbo Baggins, perhaps we feel thin, sort of stretched like butter scraped over too much bread. We're already carrying more than enough burdens, and now this parable is just throwing a boulder on top. I want you to notice two things in this opening section. First, the master gives his servants what they need. He doesn't expect them to go and generate a whole bunch of talents with nothing to work with. He gives them resources. In God's kingdom, resources are never a problem. The biggest problem is our lack of faith in what God can provide. So DPC, is that what we believe? I thought that with quitting my job and our family moving here to study, that we'd really struggle to survive financially. But you know, God's been really showing me, for my lack of faith, with his total generosity in that. He is more than capable of providing. And so DPC, can we dream big, trusting that God is the one who can provide the resources for what he wants to do? The other thing to see here is that the master gives out talents based on his servant's abilities. God knows what's going on in your life, and he knows what you're capable of. Jesus doesn't expect you to be someone different, but what he does do is give you a responsibility for kingdom work in your life as it is. 
Because even if it doesn't seem like it, there will actually be opportunities and ways for you to live for the kingdom in all areas of your life. So stop comparing yourself to what other people are doing because there will be times and seasons where you're able to do more and there'll be others where you won't, and that's okay. God doesn't treat us all the same because we're not all the same. This parable indicates that God actually does give some of us more responsibility and some, and, and some less. We live in Sydney, in the inner west. We're in an incredible position of wealth and prosperity globally. Now, we don't have to apologize for that. Being a Christian doesn't mean that we have to live in abject poverty. But it does challenge us to consider how we're going to use what God has given us for his kingdom. It also doesn't mean that we all have to go into full-time ministry. It does mean that however God has equipped you, he wants you to use those things for his kingdom and for his glory. So can you love the people that you see in your medical practice day in and day out, even when they abuse you? Can you be diligent in the code that you write, doing business in an ethical way? Can you be patient with your children and seek opportunities to share the gospel with them? Can you pray for opportunities to share about the kingdom? Can you be courageous enough to take a risk and to share the gospel with a friend? Do you see being a disciple and making disciples of Jesus as something that's a part of every aspect of your life? Or just while you're here on a Sunday? You see, the life of a good and faithful servant knows the responsibility that they've been given. And we see next that they're willing to take risks for the kingdom. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. Notice how the first two servants get it straight away. They understand the task. They go out immediately and they start to work with the resources that they've been given. Now, it doesn't say exactly what they did to get those 100% returns, but whatever it was, it would have required risk. That's all in complete contrast to the last servant who goes and who digs a hole and buries the money. It's comfortable. It's safe. There's no real risk involved, no work involved. We see later on, down in verses 24 to 25, the real reason why he does this. He's afraid of the master. He's not actually afraid of losing the money as such. He's afraid of the master's response if he does lose it. And so in his fear, he opts for the safest route, which happens to be the easiest one. He does nothing with the resources he's been given, and he makes nothing with it. You see, the way of the kingdom challenges our assumptions about what is and what isn't a risk worth taking. The total irony of this parable is that the servant that chose the safest option ends up losing it all, while the ones that were willing to risk it end up gaining it all. Jesus, in Matthew 19, verse 29, says this, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. 
our society today that idolizes luxury and laziness looks at that kind of life and says, you're crazy. Why would you want to do something like that? It's helpful to see for us, though, I think, that this kind of risk-taking doesn't actually have to look completely dramatic. A a wonderful older couple that I know back in New Zealand are an example of people who are incredibly generous. Uh, They've had good jobs, they have a nice house, but, you know, I don't think there's a weekend or a week that goes by that they don't have someone staying in their house. Uh, They're always cooking meals for people and having their over. I think they've single-handedly financed a number of church ministries over the years. Maybe externally, if you were to look at their life, you would think that they look relatively normal. But when you dig into it, you can see countless small decisions, day in and day out, that reflect the risks that they're willing to take for the kingdom, that society says just don't make sense. So what might some of those decisions in your life look like? Could it look like saying no to career advancement because you know it takes away from other things that matter more? What about prioritizing coming to church on a Sunday when you could be having brunch? See, good and faithful servants take risks for the kingdom. And finally, we see that good and faithful servants receive the reward. The time has come. The master has returned and it's time to see what the servants have done with their time. To the good and faithful servants, their faithfulness is rewarded. They're given further responsibility and they share in the master's happiness. But the wicked and lazy servant watches the talent he has get given to the one with ten and then is thrown out of the house where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, if you've been following it up along until this point, this might be where you start to get a bit worried. In fact, I kind of hope you're a little bit uncomfortable. How does this ending fit with the first shall be last? How does this fit with what we've been soaking in in Romans all year, that you've been saved by grace through faith and not by works? Isn't Jesus saying what I've always feared? If I don't do enough, I'm out. Well, keep your finger in this passage, and we're going to flick over quickly to Matthew 13, verses 10. Matthew 13, verse 10 to 12, which says, The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has not been given to them has not been given to you. Sorry, I'll read that again. The, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Hopefully you can notice that that verse 12 is identical to verse 29 in our parable today. In chapter 13, Jesus isn't talking about different tiers of Christians. He's talking about the difference between those who know the secrets of the kingdom, who believe in Jesus as king and saviour, and those who don't. 
the same comparison is going on in our parable today between the good and faithful servants and the useless servant. If we take a closer look at the life of the worthless servant, we can see that he's never really got it. He hasn't understood. He hasn't believed. Instead of understanding who the master is, knowing his character and what he really wants, like the other servants, he responds in fear. You see, the worthless servant isn't a picture of a Christian who who loves God and who's seeking to honor and obey him but falls short. It's a picture of someone who's been exposed to some of the truths of the kingdom. You know, maybe they've grown up in the church or they've gone to Sunday school, but they've misunderstood God and they've misunderstood what God wants them to do. The warning in this passage is to people who think that they've understood the assignment but have missed the whole point. I think this is where so many people are at today because they think that if there is a God, the safe thing to do is to just be a good person and to love. And that's the most important thing. Now please hear this if that's where you're at today. If you don't truly know the master, you won't really know what he wants you to do. And there won't be a reward at the end of your life, but only grief. The only reason we as Christians talk about love so much is because he first loved us. Jesus showed us what the life of a good and faithful servant looked like. He's the king who humbled himself to live among his creation, who lived a good and a faithful life where we failed to and yet died for our sins so that we can live who rose again and who gives us his spirit to transform us and to change our lives and our hearts so that even though we're often evil and lazy, the Father still looks at us and sees a good and faithful servant. Yes, God calls us to work, but only in light of his great grace to us because it's his grace that compels us to make disciples And only his Holy Spirit living in us can continue to change our lives, to give us different priorities and different hearts so that the risks of the kingdom don't seem so risky anymore. Unless you love the master and know his love for you, your love for others will always be misdirected. And so, brothers and sisters, who receives the reward? The reward is for all those who believe in the only truly good and faithful servant and who seek by the empowering of God's Holy Spirit to live their lives in service to him. You know, prior to his death earlier this year, Tim Keller prayed, I can't wait to see Jesus send me home. And one day our life will end, whether that's a long way away or closer. And whether it's because Jesus comes back again or whether it's because God chooses that our time of kingdom work is up. But for all those who believe in him, we can look forward to death like Tim Keller with anticipation and joy, knowing that we will hear those words at last. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's happiness.